Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles here and Logan Jones. Uh, we had an awesome episode, but before we get to that, uh, I saw on your Instagram story, uh, it looks like you did some awesome flying. Was that last night? Yeah, so uh, co-founder of Awesome Inc., Luke Murray, uh, hit me up. Um, this was probably about 10 a.m. in typical Luke Murray fashion. He's like, bro, we're going flying today. And I was like, okay, well. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. Well, he does this often. Also, this is a story for another time, but I've about died twice, legit about died twice with Luke. I know you've heard these stories. You were with me for one of the stories when I about died with Luke. On the on, boat? On the pontoon. Yeah, that's yeah. another story. Yeah, but anyway. Uh, Luke hits me up. He's like, we're going flying. And I was like, man, that sounds sweet. Sunset fly or sunset flight. So we, <laughs> we went to the airport and, uh, got in a plane and flew to cave run Lake, did a couple of laps and then flew back. And man, the experience of like going out, uh, into a private airport and seeing all those private jets sitting around was, it's pretty sweet. Like it makes you kind of want to aspire to have your own private yeah. jet. Cause there was this, like you see in the movies, just sitting out on the tarmac and people getting on and off of them. It was wild. Uh, so I think how I many people fit in this jet? Oh, I mean, you could fit in the back, but it'd be really sketchy to oh, sit in okay. the back of it. It was, it was a plane. It's called a Cessna. Yeah, you yeah. could. He yeah. would take you if you wanted to. Um, but no, we need a middle tech jet for sure. Oh yeah, to we'll, go to our. We'll get there. That way, we can go to like Chicago and yeah. Indianapolis and Nashville. Take our guests up. Yeah. Yeah, 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 perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, we just recorded with uh, Wrigley Creative. We had two other guys on, so Dave Cottingham and David Bertram. Well, David Cottingham and David Bertram. Um, I really enjoyed that episode. We've been getting a lot into branding, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I think, really important. We've yeah. had a lot of back-to-back branding yeah. episodes here, which is you know, really important, especially when you're a startup. Early on, you have to communicate you know, what you're doing. You have to look legit. Uh, you have to communicate you know, all of your values, your team, your product, and all of this uh, culminates in a brand. And on this episode, we specifically talk about you know, video production, digital media, uh, which Wrigley uh, Media does so well. Um, mm-hmm. I met the Wrigley team but like maybe three or four years ago. I went to their facilities um, for an event uh, and, and met uh, David Cottingham. Uh, we bonded over Star Wars. Uh, Fuji had done some work with Star Wars. I love Star Wars. I love Disney, and and so does David. And we bonded over that, you know, briefly while I was there. And so it was cool to reconnect and and talk to him on this episode. Uh, David, both Davids have so many years of experience. So for those of you listening. Uh, there's pure wisdom coming from them when it comes to the digital media space, which has changed, you know, so much over their careers. And they've always stayed in front of it. And Wrigley has always stayed, you know, relevant and, and a strong brand and a strong company in this region. So um, definitely a great one for everybody to listen to that is interested in, you know, starting a company because part of starting a company is getting an audience and getting attention. And a great way to do that is digital media. Perfect. Let's get into it. Yep. guys welcome back to the middle tech podcast evan knowles and logan jones here uh, we are sitting with david bertram and david cottingham of wrigley media so we're going to sit down and talk about the history of wrigley media uh, who i've been around uh, in the past and have seen their work and seen their facilities and they're absolutely amazing so we're looking forward to really diving into uh, the media and the digital media space uh, which they know so well and share that with all of you uh, as a startup founder or somebody working in the startup space you know, digital media is essential 
uh, and doing it right is very important because it's a big part of your brand. So we're going to walk through, again, their history, uh, some of the evolution of the media space because uh, both Davids here have an amazing background uh, in, in the space. They have so much experience that we want them uh, to share with you. Uh, and then we're going to go through you know, how you guys can apply digital media uh, to your own businesses, what that looks like when it's done right, what advice they have, what learnings they have, uh, and it's going to be great. Uh, so let's just start off with, uh, you know, your all's background. Each of you, uh, whoever wants to start, um, Bertram, let's let's start with you. Uh, if you can start with, uh, you know, where you're from, education, uh, and then professional career uh, before Wrigley. Sure. Well, thanks, guys, for having us. There is an advantage to having a B over a C, I guess, alphabetically. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I grew up in Evansville, Indiana. Um you know, um, went to Evansville Central High School. Freshman year of college, went to play baseball at St. Louis University and uh, realized I wasn't going to be a major league baseball player. So uh, what made you realize that? My arm was yeah. not uh, – it was St. Louis Division One, and it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty intense. Um, so I visited my buddy, uh, my best friend, who went to UK and thought, hey, man, this is – a great place. Lexington was great. UK was great. And I transferred to UK uh, my sophomore year and um, I'm still here. So that kind of tells you what I think of Lexington. Um, when I got here, I got a business degree, undergrad, marketing degree, um, grew up around college sports. My dad was a, a faculty athletic rep at the University of Southern Indiana. So I was always around sports, around collegiate sports. Um, so in the course of my undergrad graduate career, I interned at Host Communications, which probably still rings a bell for you guys, uh, mm-hmm. which later became IMG College. And um, so I interned there. Then I graduated and um, you know worked my way through and then took a job at Host. Uh, I'm sorry, then I went to graduate school, uh, sports management degree at UK. And then I took a job at Host Communications. And started off in their association management group running events. Um, but I got to run some sports uh, slanted events like the National Association of Basketball Coaches, things like that. And then I moved over into the NCAA group uh, shortly thereafter and then uh, ran NCAA football, uh, their corporate marketing program for many years. And then uh, ended up going with Jim Host again on a venture uh, with ii.com. And then worked for JMI Sports, who has multimedia rights in UK now. And then uh, went out on my own. And Wrigley, who I've known Dave for a long time, back to the post-time days, and their current CEO. Um, we've always talked about it, how cool it would be to work together and, and do some really great things. And so um, I ended up coming on full-time at the beginning of the year uh, in my role. So, you know, I'm kind of a newbie. To the whole scenario, but I have some history with these guys and think the world of, you know, all of the, the whole team. We've got some amazing people. Um, you know, we used to produce a television show called The Slant back uh, for NCAA football and the NCAA basketball back in the uh, early 2000s. And so I worked on that project with the guys at Post Time, Dave and, and Darren Platt, who's, who's our chief editor. Um, they do just amazing work. And that stuff got cleared on CBS. So pretty amazing when you think about the the quality of work that this team puts out and it it's carried on a national network over the air network so anyway so yeah so i came on and now i'm heading up the revenue and we're you know i'm sure we'll get deeper into 
to things, but we are just trying to grow our business. And, and we now you know, really have a national brand associated with us in, in Wrigley. Um, most people either think we're based in Chicago or they don't believe that it's the same family. Right. So, uh, so there's some explaining sometimes with folks, but you know, it's a amazing ownership, amazing leadership, and it's just a fun place to work. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, David Cottingham and you're next. Yeah. Uh, B does come before C. So, but you know, I, I would say age before beauty, right? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah, like like uh, Bertram said, we've known each other for gosh, I mean, close to twenty years. I would assume. Yeah. Um, I grew up. Uh, I, I actually grew up in a military family, so I bounced around until I was about seven years old, and my dad retired from the Air Force, and we moved back to his hometown, which is Newport, Kentucky, up in Northern Kentucky, so about seventy miles from here. And I grew up there and went to high school to uh, Newport Catholic High School. There, graduated. Didn't um, wanted to play basketball somewhere, but uh, you know I didn't get D one offer, so I, th I I didn't apply anywhere else besides UK because I knew if I wasn't going to play basketball anywhere else, I was going to go to UK. So I went to UK, um, graduated with a marketing degree. But while I was at college, um, I had aspirations to get into acting and eventually get into producing. So I uh, joined an agency in town here and started doing commercials. And uh, I mean, see these guys joke around that I, I modeled also. <laughs> <laughs> modeled for, for, for what? Clothing or what? Yeah, clothing and you know, underwear. I, no, I didn't do any underwear <laughs> here. Uh, man, there's got to be some picture someday coming up. But no, no. Uh, so. Uh, so I, I met a lot of uh, production around town, Louisville. I was doing jobs in Louisville, Cincinnati, Lexington. Um, so when I graduated, I started working a little bit, uh, selling cell phones and stuff like that until I was going to move to LA and pursue an acting career. But then I got a call from a couple of guys that were working at a company called Post Time and they wanted to know if I wanted to do some side gigs before I left. and started working there a little bit. And next thing I know, I'm 20 years later, we've changed our name and now we've got uh, 30 plus people working for us. So post time eventually became Wrigley. So um, I've been there since 2001, um, been uh, started out as a production crew, uh, learning the ropes on that, uh, then got into shooting and DPing, directing some, producing some. Um, at the same time, I was actually doing a lot of independent film as well. So I had hooked up with a couple of producers in New York and LA. So I was, I was actually, for the first couple of years of post time, I was actually traveling around the country a lot, doing projects anywhere that it took me. Uh, eventually just settled on uh, working at post time and, and got into editing and became an editor for about nine years, actually is where I kind of made my mark, I think, with post time. And, and eventually um, the time came when we needed more uh, kind of better management, better leadership. And I stuck my name in the hat and granted uh, I got lucky and got the opportunity and um, felt like, uh, so I led the company for about a year and a half before we hired our CEO, current CEO, Jane, um, to come in and, and take us in another direction. And eventually we'll get into it, I guess, in the history of it, but uh, Wrigley, uh, eventually we changed our name to Wrigley Media Group and, um, 
hired a bunch of people and grew and uh, it's been just a crazy ride of uh of uh the media landscape like i'm sure we'll talk about but um but i was the fourth hire of, of post time and you know, wow. so I've, I've been there a long time and uh, seen the changes and you know we've had three locations and um it's uh it's been crazy and, and like bertram said i i love lexington i love being here and um if I didn't move, I was going to stay here regardless. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. This will be an awesome discussion. Then you had alluded to it there briefly. Uh, let's one of you take, you know, you know, Cottingham, you're probably the best person to take this. Uh, let's walk through the history, you know, as, as briefly, but I know sure. give it justice. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of great history here. Uh, give the history of, of Wrigley. Well, we were founded in 1993 uh, by a gentleman named Wood Simpson and he started the company to, to his wife is a renowned uh, orthopedic surgeon here in town, uh, Dr. Ireland. And he started the company just to videotape her surgeries and her uh, teaching seminars. And she would make these videos and he would, she would send them out to uh, doctors uh, and surgeons trying to learn her, her business. And we, it was just that for about five, six years. And then out of the blue, um, the gentleman that worked for us, uh, James, the, the first employee, uh, out of the blue, we started getting calls from local local television stations, uh, WLAX and KYT and 36, asking James if he could go out and you know shoot some stuff for their clients because they didn't have in-house production at the time. Really, they were they weren't um, producing commercials at the time, so they were hiring freelancers to do a lot of that. So James would go out there, shoot some stuff, bring it back. Well, clients started raving about the content. They loved his, his the way he shot it. They loved the lighting. They loved everything. So more and more, that business started shifting into commercial work versus you know just working for Dr. Ireland. So had to hire another person to help out, and then eventually uh, hired a third person, um, Doug High, who actually is a you might know him as a local anchor here in town. He was actually our first salesman that came in. He had some government connections, so we do, started doing a lot with in Washington with the Navy, with the Young Marines, um, with the, the DeFi program, which really kind of put us on the map because we started generating just more content versus just commercial work. Um, eventually, we, I came on around that time. Um, eventually, we uh, hooked up with another agency uh, gentleman that, that specializes in safety work. And with through him, we were able to pitch uh, clients like PetSmart and Office Depot and uh, Dick's Sporting Goods and Nike. And we were doing all their training videos, all their loss prevention videos. Um, so that took us all over the country in the early mid 2000s. At the same time, uh, Bertram was doing a show and doing a lot of stuff with NCAA football. So we were doing stuff for them. So we at an early stage really started um, branching out to so many different verticals. You know, we weren't just centered on healthcare or sports or commercial. I mean, we were, we were doing everything. And I think that's really what let us be able to maintain throughout all these years, because as you guys well know, uh, with the economy going up and down, businesses go out, especially small businesses. But because we were in so many verticals, it didn't matter if the advertising agency took a hit because we were still doing a lot of corporate stuff, a lot of internal stuff, a lot of uh, government stuff. So um, 
so we, so as but we were strictly we were strictly production house we were shooting and editing which allowed us to work with a lot of agencies as well you know so um so we, we're definitely a unique company i would i'll always say that I, i've been around and worked with a lot of different companies over the years i, I haven't seen anything like us yet i haven't seen all the in-house people that we have all the capabilities all the verticals that we do we we're able to do a lot. And over the last few years, as the evolution still has changed, uh, we've added a lot of creative. We added a, a, a bigger sales department that Bertram heads up, uh, marketing, you know, animation. We've, we've added so many different verticals. So, uh, or services uh, within Wrigley to, to cater to all those different verticals still. So, um, but now we are 30 plus people and all these different departments. It's crazy how, Bertrand might attest to this too, is that, you know, we, even though we have 30 people, it's still hard to catch up with everybody. Uh, before, mm -hmm. you know, when I remember for years, it was only about 10 of us and we can yell down the hallway to each other. Uh, but now we're in a 20,000 square foot building and there's days sometimes where I don't even see Bertram. You know? <laughs> uh, so it's crazy. It's fast. Uh, I can't believe 20 years, you know, I'm starting my 20th year and I can't believe how fast it's gone. So talk a little bit about kind of how you guys set yourself apart, especially in this region, because I feel like you wouldn't really associate Lexington, Kentucky with uh, digital media and kind of the cutting edge of that. Was it mostly because you guys were in so many different verticals that other companies were kind of diving into one thing and you guys were able to, to spread yourselves across those verticals? Or how are you guys really setting yourself apart in this area? Well, I'll answer first first, and then you get back yeah. up. But I think the I think I, the one thing I know for a fact that we've always prided ourselves on is we've always tried to use and maintain the the highest quality products and the highest quality gear and the highest quality experiences and people. Um, we've always felt like, you know, a lot of a lot of smaller companies or even freelancers out there. I mean, you know, when you're competing with different companies. Um, that's the one thing to me that always separates is, is, is quality. And I think we've established ourselves early on, you know, 20 plus years ago that we were always going to be ahead of the curve and use the best gear uh, research and make sure we have the best stuff. Um, and then of course, keep training our people to those unique uh, techniques, because I think the one thing you, you can't fall in, um, fall in the trap of is being satisfied with where you are. Yeah, that's what I was about to say is complacency. Yeah, you've got to adjust and you've got to look ahead and always be ahead. And yeah. um and, and and I think that's what people see in us. Clients see in us. If if they've used us, they understand why. Mm -hmm. If they have used us and tried somebody else, they've always come back. Um you know, and, and we're always going to work with them too. You know, we're, if budget's an issue, we're always going to work with it. We're not, we're not, we're not going to say it's this much and that's it, but you know, we, we definitely tend to, to work with everybody, but we have high quality people, high quality equipment, and we're not satisfied unless our clients are satisfied. And I think those are simple mantras, but they carry through, throughout these years and I've witnessed it. You know? David Bertram, I'll let you, I'll let you answer this one. So you guys mentioned some of your big clients that you started working with and you're naming off cool brands like Nike and Dick's. What was kind of the first one of those big brands that came to you that got a kind of got everyone excited and made you guys realize, man, this is uh this is turning into something legit. 
Well, you know, probably Dave could answer that better, but I would take it back to the days, the post-time days of when we were doing the work, but they were doing the work. Well, I was actually a client, but, but, and I don't mean that I was <laughs> the big name at all. That's not what I mean. But, you know, host communications represented the biggest brands in the world. You right. know, Coca-Cola, uh, AT&T, um, you know, we can go on and on, Pizza Hut, all of those. And these guys were producing a plus quality work back then. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I still look, even only being here now for however many months, um, I'm, you know, that's what I point to when I'm talking to my, you know, I use the term Rolodex, which no one knows that is my <laughs> contact, you know, uh, I don't actually use a Rolodex, but, um, but, you know, I'm going back and saying, okay, do you remember this? And they're like, oh yeah, that show is great. And you know, the assumption is that's done on the coast. That's either done at one of, you know, two or three places in the country. And right. the fact that we're, we're, not only can we pull it off now with, you know, a 20,000 square foot facility, which you guys mentioned earlier, it's, it's really amazing. Oh, it's legit. They pulled that off, gosh, 15 years ago, 10, whatever, 10, 15 years ago. And so, I mean, that's, I'm not trying to evade your question, but in terms of the, the tipping point with when, after that, I don't really know because I wasn't there. So I'm going to let Dave kind of pick that, that piece up. For sure. Well, I think, I think, um, I remember when in early 2000s, when we started doing a lot of stuff with, with Dave on the NCAA football, um, I remember thinking they are our biggest client. Like we are, we're traveling to Michigan in the big house. We're shooting some NFL, future NFL stars. You know, we're over in, at USC interviewing Matt Leiner. He just won two Heisman, you know, Heisman and two championships, you know, we're going down to Rice and we're interviewing uh, that legendary coach and a, a couple of, again, um, you know, uh, what was his name? Matt White, who won the Heisman down there in Oklahoma. You know, we we're we we're traveling and doing all these big things and, you know, making these national spots for NCAA football. And it, it was shortly after that. I remember being there. And I remember shortly after that is when we hooked up with uh, the gentleman that I was uh, kind of referred to earlier the safety expert that got us in the door and helped us. We helped each other get in the door with these other big brands, Nike and, and stuff. But again, the problem with those, not the problem, great clients. The thing about those is you can't really, it was hard to talk about them because they were internal video, right? Mm-hmm. And when you get into internal video like that, you can't really, you can't market that stuff because most of it's covered by confidentiality. And so we couldn't put it on our website that we were doing stuff for Nike. We were doing stuff for PetSmart. We were doing stuff for Office Depot. We had to just know we were doing it and not, no one else really knew about it. Mm. So it, so, and it, and that's the case now. And Dave will probably hit on some of those because there's some right now that we can't even talk about. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it, that's the hard part about it. But, um, but that was that 2000 to 2005, that, there was a big turn in the company then to where we started doing a lot more national stuff, a lot bigger brands. Um, and again, that, that, you know, we maintain to that. I think Dave could go on with kind of our bigger clients now um, that we can mention, but, but we're also now getting into a little more network-based stuff too. Hmm. So let's take a step back from Wrigley specifically and talk about, you know, the media space as a whole, because you guys have an amazing you know, background in it. You guys have a lot of experience in it. 
uh, talk about how it's evolved. Like, what are some of the biggest ways it's evolved? What surprised you the most? What's stayed consistent? Talk about each of you can answer this and, and talk about it in your own perspective. What's changed over the years? Um, Dane, I'll start. Um, uh-huh. Somebody asked, you know, I speak to classes at UK, uh, sports marketing classes, and a similar question gets asked what's the biggest thing that happened? And we can point to a lot of things, but I would say it's this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Period. Before this, your strategy in 2009, everybody's strategy changed. If it didn't, you're you're not in business anymore. Because yeah. if you're not doing business through this or every other screen that you can do business through, then you're you, you're not. You're right. I mean, mm-hmm. if somebody calls you, the first thing you do is you're googling them right then. Yeah. Right. You're looking at them. Then you're going to their mobile site and seeing how are these are these people legit? You know, do they are they up with what's going on? So, you know, that's a pretty obvious answer. But truly, I believe the advance, the, uh, you know, the advent of smart technology is what changed the game for everybody. You, ever, you either got on board with it or you did. When that first launched, when the iPhone launched, uh, I don't know if you watched that launch or if you were. Heard of, if you the first time you saw it, when you saw that come out, what did you think of it from that perspective? Did you say, "Wow, this is going to change everything," or what did you think? I did not. I thought it was a gimmick. I thought, "What Steve, <laughs> what's Steve Jobs doing now? I've got my Razor flip phone. There's no <laughs> way not a BlackBerry. Gonna, that thing's good. I did have a BlackBerry too. Okay, okay. that was that was that. A two phone guy. I'm old, two man. Phones. So no, 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 I didn't have two, but okay. I think at the time it was BlackBerry is what they forced us to have when IMG bought us. Uh, in fact, I. Was, I should have brought it downstairs, but anyway, no, I truly did not. I thought it was, I thought it was an Apple ploy and I was not a Mac guy. Yeah. You know, back there weren't, if you, the only people that were Mac people, I'm 49. So, you know, do the math at that point, you know, I was 28 when I got my first cell phone. So imagine that, like my daughter's right. What? Uh, So if you think in those terms, I just thought it was gimmicky. Um, and it took me, it took me a while. It not I, I think I adopted quicker than, than, than some that are you know my age, but it still was something I just didn't, I think I probably got the third generation is yeah. what I got on. So, so at what point did you look at what was going on and say, wow, this is, this is change. This is going to change things. What was that moment? Do you remember? I think, well, oh gosh. Um, I'm sorry, so nothing's popping out at me other than no, okay. it was just it was the social media aspect that's probably yeah, okay. it was that and it was also bandwidth because yeah. you had the technology which you couldn't do a whole lot, but then yeah. as the technology as the bandwidth caught up and started we started to be able to stream and watch video in HD. Mm-hmm. Um, that was I you know, that's probably it. Yeah. Probably being able to watch HD video on the phone was when I'm like, my gosh, this game has totally changed because everything we've ever consumed as human beings from a, from an electronic digital or electronic format has been on a TV up until that point to be able to view something or, or, or in a theater, mm-hmm. only two things, a TV or a theater. And now you can consume content on, you know, anything. And oh. that was, that was probably it. Yeah. Yeah. And Cunningham, what about you? Yeah, I agree. I think um, when I remember when I was in um, God, I'm, I'm a, early 2000 or late 90s, um, 
I'm going to give away my geekdom here, but I, you know, he's a Star <laughs> Wars fan. So uh, I remember when uh, Star Wars was releasing what I think it was either episode one or episode two, which was in 99 or 2002, but they were putting out little uh, behind the scenes videos on their website. And I remember going to that and, you know, catching the next one, but having to wait till it loaded and loaded and loaded, right. Till I can watch it. And I think around that time, ESPN was starting to put some of their little pieces online. You know, you can go to their website and watch a highlight and watch a highlight. You couldn't watch any of the shows yet, but it was a highlight. Watch this home run or watch this foot touchdown. And I remember thinking back then, like, wow, this is incredible. I'll still do the dial up, but it was incredible to be able to catch something without watching it on television. Right. I just, but I didn't really understand the significance. I don't think of that because I technically I wasn't really in the business yet. I was just starting with post time and, you know, the time we were still recording stuff on tape and loading it in and time coding it. And then, you know, marking it and then loading it back on a tape and delivering it to the station and stuff like that. So um, we didn't get into digital transfers, I think, until late 2000s, um, which is pretty much when the iPhone started coming out and everything just started going digital. But, um, you know, I would say that to, for me, it was like Dave said, I, it, it took social media, it took a lot more people uh, like YouTube and trying to share their videos for I think the industry to say, look, we, we, we need to create something. We need to start putting more bandwidth out there. We need to have faster speeds. We need to figure out how to compress these videos smaller so people can load them faster. Um, because that is really what changed the game is when, you know, this 30 second video that used to be two gigs is now only 20 megs. I can watch it without having to wait that's when things just started flowing. And I would say that it was, it was, it was social media. It was well, whoever was out there, Apple and Facebook and all these companies that knew that, knew that, um, you know, playing digital media was going to be the norm for everybody. Um, that's when it changed. And I think it changed our, definitely changed our business. I mean, um, the way we, you know, before there was only certain, only a couple things you can count on your fingers, what you can do with media after you had it, mostly it was put it on a tape or put it on a DVD and give it to the client. Now you you got so many different formats, so many different uh, compressions, so many different uh, ways you can watch it now. And you have to talk about those things with every client now to make sure that they are putting it in the right spot. Right. So, yeah. And I feel like it's evolving every day and every, like every month, every day now, like now you've got, you know, TikTok just popped up in the last two years. You've got uh, Snapchat augmented reality lenses. You've got all these crazy things that are, you know, changing, you know, digital media and the way people consume it. And um, the question I'm leading up to is, you know, do you guys feel that Lexington has kept up well with how fast things are changing now um, with the times of digital media? What's your all's perspective on, you know, the history of media in Lexington specifically? Because I've, I've lived, you guys have traveled around and been to cities like Los Angeles and New York, and I've lived in Los Angeles. They live and die, and you can see it evolve much faster than you come back here, and it's harder to see some of that. Um, but what are your all's thoughts on 
Lexington's perspective on adopting these things? As a as a community, I guess is one perspective. As uh, you know, an agency world or a media world is probably a little different. But um, from my perspective, you know, this part of the of the country is tradition. You know, historically, it's always then we're not early adopters, right? Yeah. In 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 most things, fashion, in you know, uh, technology, on and on and on. And I think that's true here as well that I think it has caught up. I mean, and from a bandwidth standpoint, going back to that notion, I mean, let's face it, when the infrastructure was is being constructed to make bandwidth faster, it didn't start in the middle of the country. It started on the coast because there's more people right. and those things. So certainly um, took us a while to catch up, but I will tell you, I am thrilled with the infrastructure that's going on here. I'm thrilled with the, um, uh, aptitude of clients and their first question, everything's digital. Everything's, how, how can you help me? How can you help me? They, they understand the need for it now, where I think it was completely overlooked for years mm-hmm. um, that it should not have been. So the, the answer is we're slow to adopt. We were slower, but I think we're there now. Yeah. As, think, as there as we can be. I think it's like guys that. like you, it's like guys like you. I mean, you understand it, yeah. right? And you're, you're building a business around it. Mm. You, that didn't happen. There was no business to be built around you know, when you guys were in grade school. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious. So was there kind of a mindset shift in how content was created once the term viral even became a thing? Because before video was able to be shared on, on a massive platform like social media, you know, there's no such thing as going viral. Did, did production companies and digital media companies have a mindset shift in how they produce content? looking at stuff that was going viral? Was there some sort of shift when all that came about? I think as, uh, yes and no. I think the, I think when you're dealing with clients and clients, um, the thing about it is they're coming to companies like us looking for that direction, right? Sure. You know, yeah. um, that's why we have to be as knowledgeable as we can about the landscape, about the advantages and disadvantages of certain platforms and certain media. Um, and, th- and that's where they're, they're coming to us. If they're, if they're doing it on their own, um, more than likely, you know, they they may not be getting their message out to the right people or they're or, or doing the right thing, but with so many different options now, um, you know, it, it really depends on what you're saying and how you're saying it. I think that the traditional advertising TV is still alive and well i mean it's this phone as bertram held up earlier it's just a different way to get to somebody you know i mean there's still millions of subscribers that are watching cable and watching satellite and and all that but there are also millions watching on their phones now so um you know once you have that product i think the product um you know that's the first step is what's the message what are we trying to say what are we trying to create and then it's the distribution of it. And that is where Wrigley has really evolved over the years is we, in the beginning, were never part of distribution. We were the product makers. We made stuff for our clients. We handed it over. And more than half the time, we never knew how well it performed. Hmm. Um, we would hear from our clients. Yes, it was great. It went well. And, uh, but you know, we weren't in charge of getting that out there and then 
reading the results in the analytics. And that's another big thing is analytics, how much that has changed over the, over the years before it was Nielsen ratings or how many times you got clicked or your sales, but now you can actually track how many down to the, how many people, how many eyeballs you have on it. Right. Um, so now that as we're getting more into distribution, um, and educating our clients on, on what to do and how much money you should put behind it, if any, uh, because, you know, obviously I think most people would agree that you shouldn't tell a client that we can make a viral video. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of luck involved. There. That's a lot yeah. of luck. Right. <laughs> uh, but you can make a video that can get seen a lot and, and hopefully re- get a return on your investment. Right. So that's our yeah. goal is to Nowadays, help, help that happen. Nowadays have uh, production and distribution become even more tight, tightly coupled because you know, the distribution of how you, you know, in order to produce a video that gets distributed on a phone, a TV, uh, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook all have different size videos, like are production and distribution now becoming so tightly coupled uh, that they're the same thing or not the same thing, but like very, you know, they're one. They're, the line of communication has to be very, very good um, yeah. between the client, the distributor and, and the the media company and if, if you're one of the same that's great but even then you've got you know decisions being made on one side of the building that need to be communicated over to the other side because of aspect ratios and things like that it seems to me right now that the social media companies are i don't know if they're intentionally collaborating but it seems like they are staying pretty consistent and so we don't have to have eight different aspect ratios yeah you know, and re-edit for every single platform. We can, we can be efficient and our editors, you know, are fantastic at doing that. And there are, and, and the editors and the producers and everybody over there is always thinking about it. Even if the request wasn't, Hey, we want to make a TV show. Okay, cool. But we know we're going to have to promote that TV show through digital media. So how are we going to shoot these things and edit these things? to be able to put on all those different social media channels. And that's the mindset that's, and then frankly, a lot of that's hiring, you know, people, younger people that grew up with it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's just the way it is. I mean, our editors know more in their little finger than I'm ever going to know. Uh, and I and I feel fairly knowledgeable. I, I mean, I really do. I mean, I study it. I read it every day, but yeah. I didn't grow up with the phone, you know? And right. so it's just a different. I remember, I remember when Instagram launched their vertical, Instagram TV and they said it was just going to be vertical. And I thought, I was like, man, there's going to be a lot of people in the industry scared to death. This is, this is going to be a game changer. But I think then they kind of dial that back and allow you to turn, turn the phone. I think is what, am I right? Yeah, they did. And a little quick story about that is they, we did, um, we did a series uh, of uh, college football, a college football show called my town. Um, This was 20, it wasn't last year, 2018, 2018. And Instagram TV had just getting ready to launch. And this group called, called Campus Lore, they said, we wanted, we want to shoot these shows, but we want a 16 mi on version. And of course we want a nine by 16 version for Instagram TV. And, you know, first attempt at this. So we went into a lot of pre-planning for this to figure out, okay, what shots can we, you know, can, can we do this? Can we just take the 16 by nine and, and crop it? Because it, because you can't really crop that because you have to zoom in as well. And you start getting into mm-hmm. pixelation and stuff like that. So we had to figure out how to properly shoot this. We have multi cams, all this stuff. So 
Um, in the end, we figured it out. And the, the beauty of it, I thought, which was cool, is that you could, you know, we edited in a way where we were doing a lot of split screens with, the, with that aspect. You know, you weren't just showing uh, a tall screen, you were showing kind of a crop 60 by nine in the top that the bottom you either had a graphic or you had some B-roll running. So instead of 16 by nine, you know, cutting to B-roll, you actually could show the B-roll why you had the, the, the host and stuff on, on camera as well. So, so it was a different video. So if you watched the 16 by nine version, you actually had a different experience when you watched the Instagram TV version. So it actually opened the doors to the, to the, to the sponsor at the time, which was Coke Zero. Um, they actually liked that aspect of it because we were able to show Coke the product a lot more in, in, uh, in the Instagram TV. So, um, but, that, but that's just an example of, of knowing your where it's going mm -hmm. and planning and shooting for that medium versus figuring out later because you're probably going to not get the stuff you need. So we knew exactly what we needed for both platforms and we were able to efficiently get those done. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, quickly here, where do you see the industry going? You know, there's, uh, everybody talks about uh, virtual reality. You know, streaming is now the reality. Like that's where people are consuming long form content streaming. So that's, that's already kind of a norm. Uh, you know, again, like where are some of the areas you see this, this going? Everybody's talking about virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, Let's see what else is out there. You know, Roku is kind of changing the game as far as uh, distribution of uh, streaming. Talk about where you guys see some things going. Uh, you know, I come from a sports background, so rights uh, issues and things like that. Um, I see those players coming in. If I'm ESPN, I'm terrified. Really? Yeah. I mean, because let I me mean, look look at the now Disney, of course, is you know. They're not. They're doing fine. But but when you look at the ability to go out and be nimble and go out and, and produce things, um, that you're going to get mass consumption um, for less because someone can watch a college football game, for example. I know we've talked a lot about that. A college football game on Facebook Live for free, mm. whereas you have to have an ESPN subscription. That's yeah. that's yeah. meaningful. And I think those are the, that's what I, that's, that's, those are the things I think about the future are the rights issues on where are we going to consume the things that we traditionally consume somewhere else. So the rights with the college football, uh, if they're given away for free on Facebook, where's the, where, where does the, I don't understand the exchange here, the money. Well, so ESPN is a, du a dual revenue stream. Oh. You're, you're, you're paying a subscription and yep. they're selling advertising which is brilliant. That's uh -huh. what was brilliant about the cable model eons ago. Yeah, right. You know, the over-the-air networks, it's straight advertising. Yeah. But Facebook is also straight advertising because you're not paying for Facebook. So, but because their reach is so great and they're so efficient at being able to do it and you're carrying it around with you, now you can carry around and watch ESPN too, but it's, it's still different. You're still paying ESPN and you're still being forced to consume commercials yeah you're not going to have live events without commercials i don't been wrong before but that's what's you know that's what's funding those things so facebook is just going and i'm just using facebook as an example but it's a good example because they can afford those rights and they can monetize those games and still make money without having to charge a subscription fee yeah, I got and you. if i'm a, if i'm the commissioner of the sec 
and I know that more people are going to be able to watch my, my, my players and my teams and all of those because fans are going to be able to consume it for free wherever they are. I'm, and I'm getting the same or more in, in rights fees from okay. Facebook versus ESPN. That's a no brainer. I gotcha. You know, and it's a younger demographic. I mean, well, Facebook, you know, excuse, a little bit older now, but still, you're, you're still, when you go through the social media, you're going to start in college football, for example, is skewing older, right? They need to find a way to reach the younger fans. So does college basketball. So does the NFL. They're losing out the next generation of fans because of all of the other things that kids are able to do right now in yeah, gaming think, uh, and, and so forth. I think, in, I think I saw a stat that the NBA has the youngest, I think of any sport, their, their demographic is younger. And I, they, I love the NBA, like what they do on social media and Instagram. They, I think they were the first to really do it really well. Baseball, I think was one of the last the NFL is kind of lagging behind. Um, but NBA kills it. You know, I think that you look at some of their Instagram videos of just highlights and they've got millions and millions of views on them. It's absolutely. Amazing. I mean, commissioner Stern is credited with that and gosh, Oh, yeah. absolutely. And, and, but he did, certainly didn't know how to do the strategy, but he <laughs> got the right people. Heard the right people. It. That's right. And yeah. he should be commended for that. Yeah. Cottingham, what about you? What are some things you're seeing coming in the future? Well, you know, uh, I think it's funny you bring up VR because. Is it, is it legit? Like, is it going to be here sooner than we know it is it legit or are there things that are just naturally going to keep us from wanting to close the reality, real reality off? I think, I think like anything, when, you know, the first HDTV dropped, it was so expensive that not everybody could consume it. Right. Um, Cause I remember editing, I remember editing and still having to worry about four, three safe because not everybody had an HDTV out there. Right. And that was, and that was for years. Now we're past that. I think if you don't have a 16 by nine TV, you're, 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 you're in the small uh, minority right now. But I think now, I think VR is in that category right now. I think there's, there's a growing interest in it. Um, I'm actually very interested in it. I, I've experienced VR. I've got one of those uh, Oculus Quests. And I think when you start mixing, it's one thing to do gaming in VR. It's one thing to, um, you know, watch, you know, go go kind of sit at the, in the middle of a safari and watch animals going up. But when you start mixing with live events, um, which they're starting to do more of, like being able to sit VR. on being able to sit on the NBA uh, courtside and watch a live game going on, you're really starting to change the game. Um, because like Dave just said, how do you, how do you watch? Cause I haven't experienced it yet, but how, how does, how do you advertise to that person? Is it just the banners that are in the stadium? Is it actual commercials that are playing when there's timeouts? Uh, because if you're in the stadium, you don't experience that, right? You don't, so if you want that live in live person, you wouldn't see a commercial. So I would think it would be some adver- some more advertising, maybe pop-ups. I don't know. Um, I don't know. VR, VR on the live side is, is uh, I think that is going to become more and more popular uh, in the coming years. Um, but I think in the, you know, the, the thing about the digital media side where we're at now is, you know, 4K is a thing right now. There's 6K cameras, there's 8K cameras. You obviously keep staying ahead of the game and trying to increase your your case and stay uh, but but 
not everybody's going to be just like when everybody was going HD, not everybody was there yet. Um, but platform wise, and I think the way consumers consume media until they change the technology of a device in front of you. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really see um, the consumption part of it really changing that much yet. Um, I think the next step is virtual reality. I think, um, and I think honestly, the crazy thing about it is, is with the pandemic that's happening right now, I think that's caused a lot of people to start thinking about how do we, um, how do we reach those people that are at home now? Um, and I, because I think even coming out of this, I think there's going to be more home consumption because of this as well. And, and the biggest thing I, I point to is the movie industry. Um, because you can't go to theaters right now. A lot of these movies they're releasing digitally, right? And they're charging still 20 bucks, <laughs> but Hey, if it's a Star Wars movie, I'm paying it. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, so I think there's, I think studios, networks that are looking at Roku's and Hulu's, and you know, there's a game out there right now of these streaming networks, and you know, there's been rumors and talks about who's going to survive. I, I think there, I think there's something good about all of them. And I think there's good about competition because it, it is driving some costs down on that. Um, as long as they're competing against each other, it will be cost effective. And I think um, consumers will pay that and it's a different way to reach the consumer. So um, I don't know if that was a full answer to what you're talking about, but I just think that, I think the streaming services, I think, um, I think the VR experience and in, in, in live uh, theaters, sporting events, I think that is a, uh, I think that is a way and, and companies are gonna think about content for that kind of stuff. It's gonna be, and it's gonna be difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree with the VR stuff. I think that's gonna be, I think that has to be the, the next logical step into how we experience these it's live events. It's, it's, it's there, uh, it's just, it, it needs to be adopted. You know, by the masses. I've seen some good VR. And Dave's, uh, I mean, Bertram, you're into the NCAA football. I mean, have they talked? And you're here in VR with them at all? Uh, well, it's always out there, but it's so expensive to shoot. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then you've got, it, it's what's going to come first. I mean, the adopt, you're going to shoot it, then people are going to adopt the technology, or people are going to demand they shoot it because they've already got the technology. And I think that's, until the price of the technology comes down for the consumer side, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a slow adoption for a network to to go do it. Because yeah. the thing with live sporting events, people are going to watch them if they're passionate about it, however they possibly can. So yeah, yeah. yeah I think Facebook's really, really shooting for that that cheap VR headset with Oculus. When they when they acquired Oculus, they they have a vision. They know where they're aiming, and I think. They're going to use all this cash they're generating from these ads to, you know, really put that in the technology and get that, ca that that cost down. You know, the first thing they did that was amazing was they unhooked the headset from a PC. That was a big, big deal. Now you can just stand with it. You know, that, that was the major leap that they took, and they're going to continue to do that, and they have the funding to do that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where Facebook takes it. It'll be cool. Uh, you know, I think everybody hates on Facebook, and they should be criticized without a question. 
but at a certain level, you have to respect the the amount of uh, change that they've put into the world with this platform. And now they're going to also layer on top of this a physical, uh, you know, they're going to launch, uh, you know, they got the Oculus. They're going to launch this hardware that takes takes you into that platform. You know, they're going to build this virtual world, and it'll be crazy to see what that's going to be like. But uh, let's talk about, you know, high-quality digital media, which is, you guys are, which is what you guys are good at. So, uh, Bertram, let's talk about your pitch here. As CRO, when you're talking to a client, what is your pitch on why great digital media matters? What, what's, what's your all's take on this? Sure. Um, if we go back a little bit to something Dave said earlier, though, um, at the end of the day, at our core, we still are the makers of the content. Right. And we know how to make it for any uh, platform that you want to put it on. So I think the conversation really starts there. We can do whatever you want us to do and we can help you. If you don't already have a vision and a strategy on how you want to distribute, we can certainly help you do that. But we want you to know, and here are examples of what we've done that we can do it for any platform that you, you wish. Um, so I do think we don't want to get lost at all in all of a sudden becoming just a distribution solution. We could do that, but we like making stuff and we're really good at making stuff. So I think it's, we can make it, we can make it for the platform, not just aspect ratio. I mean, from a very thoughtful way of we should shoot it like this because it's going to be seen here. It needs to be, five seconds whereas people come in all the time. I want a one minute video to showcase my new app. Well, that's not going to work, right? It's no one's going to watch that for a minute. <laughs> they're just not. So there's, there's just some basic things like that. That look, yes, we're expert at helping you craft it. If you don't already have your vision, but at the end of the day, we're going to make the product for you. And then you tell us, you want us to distribute it. You want us to tell you what we think, or are you going to do it on your own? So I don't want to lose sight of the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, we're makers, we're creators of content. And then the distribution then is the second, that's the second challenge. But I will follow that up with, you can have the best content in the world, or you can make the best widget in the world. And if the world never sees it, it's it's useless and worthless. So, you know, that's a lot of, it's going back to the notion of creating something that goes viral that doesn't make any sense. You can't do that. I mean, that's, you've got to create it with a strategy in mind on how you're going to achieve the goals that you set forth. And if you're just going to make something, it's like getting a patent just to say, I have a patent. You spent $10,000 on a patent just to hang it on your wall. Right. That's, that's a similar notion in my mind is you, you're creating this, you better damn well know how you're going to get eyeballs to see it. So is that, would you say that's the hardest part of this entire process is getting the eyeballs on it? Um, no, I don't think so. I think, I think they're equally challenging. Um, one's a creative solution. One's a more scientific analytical solution. Mm-hmm. I think it's left and right brain, frankly. And I think if you come to our shop, you will see left brain people and right brain people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very analytical business-minded people and they're very, very creative people. So um, I think they're both equally difficult. Um, I think, frankly, I think the creative part's harder because I think mm-hmm. you you can figure out the, the distribution, um, but 
it's also like sometimes and more times than not directly proportionate to how much you're willing to spend. Mm-hmm. So when, when's the right time for a, a business to spend that, spend that money and make that investment into quality or really high quality digital media, like what you guys produce? Is there, is there kind of markers of this is the right time or is it, what does that look like? in your I mind? think, I mean, if it's, if it's sorry, Dave, I'm, but if it's, if it's me, I think it's, you know, look, that's, we pride ourselves on quality work. I think anybody should pride themselves on quality work. So I think it's from day one. Mm-hmm. And, and I think from our standpoint, look, we're doing everything from, as I mentioned, five, 10 second, 30 second spots all the way up to feature films. We, we love that range. We can scale. And if somebody comes in with a $2,500 budget and somebody else just walked in with a $250,000 budget, we can scale and make those things work and still provide great quality. Um, so I would argue you have to start with now when people's attention spans are so slow, so short, you cannot create crap and then expect people to come back to you. Yeah. You have to come out strong right out mm-hmm. of the gate. Makes sense. Let's uh, let's we always want to give our, our listeners, you know, some learnings, uh, learnings from just experience, but also from mistakes so they can avoid making the same mistakes. Either of you can start. But if you can think back through you know, your career, uh, what are some learnings you have either from a mistake or just straight learnings from experience? Well, I think for me, um, you know, when I started out uh, learning production as an actor, um, I was in front of the camera a lot, so I wanted to learn behind the camera. So I would pay attention to what the directors were doing, what the DPs were doing, what the grips were doing, what the sound guy was doing. Um, and then when I thought about, you know, working on some independent films and producing stuff, um, you tend to try to do so many things on your own. Um, and it just doesn't work like that, especially in this business that we're in. Uh, you need you need help. You need to surround yourself with smart, passionate, um, hardworking people that understand the vision of everything we're trying to do with our clients and with this particular these particular projects. And so, so basically, my short answer to that is, you know, you the mistake I made was thinking I could do a lot by myself and you just, you have to, you have to find people and work with people that share your same knowledge and your same experiences and your same passions. And when you do that, great things will happen as evident, I think of this company. Um, A lot of people just stood by and worked hard and sucked it up and just did everything we wanted, we needed to do for the growth and the, and the expectations of our, of our clients. And, um, and, and you have a little fun doing it and it's what makes the day go by so good, so fast and so fun. And, um, so I, that, that you just gotta find those people. Yeah. Yeah. Bertram, what about you? Uh, I mean, I guess if you're looking back and, um, one, it's almost kind of like a, what we have done differently scenario, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely take more risks. Um, as I've all of a sudden I've got, you know, white hair and and then like wow where did all the time go um i mean i've had a been so fortunate to be able to do the stuff i've been to do gotten to do in my career but there's a lot of things i i not a lot I mean, there's some things i really wish i would have said you know what we should have given that a go um 
and I mean, I don't know if I can point to anything uh, individually, but um, well, I, well, yeah, I can't. We were going to do another TV show um, with you guys, uh, Dave. You probably never knew about it, but we we didn't do it because we started to get kind of pressured from the net from CBS that we weren't we that wasn't what we did. We're not television producers, right? We we don't we didn't uh we didn't belong there kind of thing. And we kinda acquiesced and, and just killed it. And that's the type of thing you just push back and you say, what are you talking about? We've been doing this for four years and it's fantastic. Um but you know pressures come on it from different sides of you all the time, uh particularly when you're dealing with a machine like college athletics. So very good. Okay. Awesome learnings. Uh, you guys both at the beginning of this thing, when you guys talk about your background, spoke about your love for Lexington. And we always want to, before the end of every every episode, you know, talk about the city of Lexington, uh, what you love about it, what you think could be done better. Uh, each of you answer your favorite part about Lexington, what you love about, you know, living here. Well, the bourbon. <laughs> Same. Yeah. No, I mean, frankly, it's, 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 it, you know, gosh, the, the answers are probably very similar, but I mean, the number one is the people. The first reason I really fell in love with this place was the people. And that was a long time ago. And the people here still seem to me to be extremely genuine and kind and, um, in the way, you know, they're just friendly people. And I just, that's important to me. And the beauty of the place, it's unlike anywhere else. And I've traveled extensively and it is unlike any other place I've ever been. Um, and I think, you know, I even take it for granted during COVID I'll tell you, I'll go take cars calls in my car and just go drive around the countryside. And I'm just like, my gosh, yeah. everybody needs to do that once a week, take, <laughs> yeah. take a 10 minute drive and be like, man, we, this is some impressive stuff. You know, 100% agree. That's so one of the things I do, I take off into like old Frankfurt Pike, and I'll just take random turns. I'll just like flip a, not really flip a coin, but I'll just be like, yeah, that's that looks interesting, and then just drive down it. There's not many places in the country you can do that. That's right. That's right. Not at all. What about you, Cottingham? Um, I, you know, when I first got here in college in the mid '90s, um, things were still, you know, Hamburg wasn't even, you know, I don't know if everybody knows what we're here talking about, but Hamburg wasn't even built out yet at the time, and. Mm-hmm. The growth of this area has been incredible. And I think, you know, and Bertram and I talked about it. I think the, I think what Lexington has needed really is uh, a little bit of an update. And I think we're getting that a lot with the convention center and Rupp Arena getting updated, a lot more restaurants and activities to be able to do downtown. Um, you know, I, I think that's really going to just catapult Lexington uh, ahead in the future. And I think we're going to start really seeing, um, you know, we were already attracting a lot of talent and, you know, we were always in the top 10 best places to live. Uh, I think we're going to stay there and and get higher because uh, it is gorgeous. And I think the, but, and I agree with Bertram, I think the people here are just incredible. And I think, um, that's one thing too I want to say about Wrigley and just kind of brag about us a little bit is I feel like I feel like with us the way we treat our clients that's if not the main reason why we are successful. Uh, yes, we do quality work, but it's all about how you treat people and how you 
work with people. And I, I think Lexington is one of the best places for that. I think everybody around here wants to help each other, wants to work with each other. And we all want to see good things happen to all of our businesses. And uh, it's pretty unique. It's pretty unique then to, to see that in this area. I know other cities have it. I know other people could say that, but no, it's a, uh, it's a pretty special place here to, to, to be able to say that. Yep. No, we, we say that all the time. Uh, you know, I've, I've traveled around a lot. I've lived in, you know, different cities and Los Angeles. And every time I come back to Lexington, you know, the people in Lexington are so much better than people in Los Angeles. I can say that very confidently. Uh, and, you know, it's just like the ability for us to reach out to somebody and get advice, reach out to somebody and get them on here or just go out to coffee. It's just like that, that kind of ecosystem is just so great to be a part of. Uh, and I agree with you that the, the updates that are coming to the city of Lexington are going to be game changing. You know, the, the park is what I'm really looking forward to the Rupp arena updates and the convention center where you combine the park, the convention center, the update to Rupp arena and now center center city. Uh, you know, now you have this entire ecosystem that drives tourism. Uh, and so it's going to be great. Really looking forward to all that. Uh, okay. Uh, ending remarks on kind of the future of digital media here in Lexington, whether that's directly related to Wrigley uh, or just the, the Kentucky ecosystem as a whole. Where where are we going to go uh, digital media-wise and how are you going to help us get there? You may get um, well, I think... I think one thing we're all learning right now is the, the ability to uh, work remotely. Um, you know, we haven't really talked about the pandemic, but you know, when people unearth this show in a million years, then they'll know that the pandemic. We're shooting this right now in the middle of all of this. But I think what that has shown is all of us can you know, really do our jobs for the most part, unless we are physically having to touch something or uh, you know. Even our editors, I mean, they're editing from home now, right? Um, I think that ability to do that from wherever and combined with the livability and the fact that people like this part of the world, I think it's going to be a very positive aspect because you can work from right here or you can work from wherever, but people are choosing to come here. We've got people that are coming from LA, coming from Washington, D.C. to work here because we can do what they're doing where they are they can have a yard huh. you know you know what how expensive it is in LA I mean they can have a yard they can be you know walk their kids to school do all those things that are important as you're growing your, your you know as an individual as a family or whatever the case may be and you can do it from here now so I think that's the, the, the future as it relates to Lexington, as it relates to a lot of places. People are going to choose to be where they want to be because they can now, they, we have all proven that we can do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's huge. And uh, I would just echo that because I think the connectivity around the country, around the world uh, allows companies like ours to compete with companies in bigger cities. Um, in fact, we should be highly competitive because our rates are different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you're sometimes you're paying twice the rate, uh, in New York or Chicago or Atlanta. Um, so I think what you're going to see, uh, hopefully, I think, I, I think I'd, I'd be safe to say this. You're going to see a lot more from us, uh, on the national level. Um, we're already 
doing a lot more um, scripted stuff uh, with networks. Um, we've got a lot of uh, bigger clients that we're doing stuff for. Um, COVID did slow us down a little, um, but I think Bertram would agree. I, I'm working from home. I feel like I'm working more here than I was yeah. at the office. We don't have a commute anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I see good things from us. I see good things from Lexington. I think we're going to, what we look, what, what I've always wanted to do uh, as being part of Lexington and, and this community is uh, help help grow the media landscape and help put us on the map and help um, bring more work here, uh, be it the film the, the film industry, which we're efforting as well and um, getting into networks. So we've attracted those 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 talent as well as Bertram um, on the revenue side. You know, I mean, it's great to see the team we have put together um uh and we've got another one coming starting next week that's really big um helping us so it's 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 exciting it's really exciting to see what we have and what we're working on and you know hopefully in a year from now when you guys have us back on we got a lot more stuff to talk about